everyone. This is your host, Kelly. Um, I just want to take a moment and thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been such a fun little quarantine project, and I've loved getting to meet so many amazing people and having some really great conversations with them through this podcast. Um, so I just wanted to update you. I am going to take a little bit of a summer break because I am moving and prepping to go to grad school in the fall. Uh, but once I get settled into my new place, we will be back with lots of super exciting episodes uh, that are already planned, so don't worry about that. Um, so yeah, so this is kind of our season finale episode for now. It's a really, really great one, and I had so much fun recording it with my guests, Sylvia and Keaton. Uh, but I do want to apologize for my mic's audio quality. I didn't realize that my mic was set to the wrong setting until like after we had already finished recording. So I messed with it a little bit in post, but it still kind of sounds like I'm speaking underwater a little bit. So sorry about that. Um, but thankfully, Sylvia and Keaton's mics are both fine. And I don't speak nearly as much after around the 30 minute mark. So hopefully it doesn't bother you too much because, yeah, this is a really good episode. So yeah, so I will see you all again in the fall, and hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Opera in the Real World, a podcast about modern opera culture from beyond the conservatory walls. This is your host, Kelly, and this week we have two incredible returning guests, Sylvia and Keaton, who were first here on our Marriage of Figaro and Art Song episodes. So Sylvia and Keaton... Welcome back. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks nice. for having us. Can I say thank, thank you so much for having me and Asian on during uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Month to talk about Giacomo Puccini's least orientalist opera. Oh my God. I feel like that's a real get for us. Like that's a win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's still some like cultural appropriation. Oh, it's over here too, oh, it's racist. Don't get it yeah. twisted. But it's not orientalist. Yeah. So you can't okay. say that about many of them. No. So okay, I guess like put a check in that box. I don't know. But yeah, cool. But yeah, no, great to have you back on. Um yeah, before we get um back into Sanchula, I do wanna like just mention that we all are members of the Peter Matei fan club which I love that for us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, we should get t-shirts. Yeah, yes. we should get t-shirts. <laughs> I mean, it's at that level, right? Um, I guess, do you, do you have, does everyone here have like a favorite, like Peter Matei, like work or any, I don't know, like favorite thing you like to see him in, you know, just. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Don Giovanni, really. I feel like, I think that's the first thing that I saw him in was I saw him do, um, uh, like the two Don Giovanni arias and I was like man <laughs> wow that voice <laughs> so yeah I mean like literally anything in Mozart I would like literally sell my soul to like see him <laughs> in something Mozart so I I stand after seeing him in Onyegan at the Met that was like my sort of like okay well I'm gonna marry this man moment <laughs> um and then I would say another thing that I love about him is that he's six what is he six four yes yeah um Don Giovanni I feel like is the one that got away for me because they canceled that Ivo Van Hova Don Giovanni that I was like mm -hmm. obviously was going to scalp a kidney to try and get to <laughs> but I think maybe my favorite is his Amfortas in Parts of Fall actually because it's so it's so unexpected the way he sings that role like no one is out there singing that like him it's so beautiful yeah 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I basically, that's like basically exactly what happened for me. I, um, I went to see the uh, Onegin that he did um, at the Met via simulcast, because obviously I don't live in New York City. Um, would be great to see it in person, though, but that was my hopeful plan for that Don Giovanni, and that did not happen. And then COVID, um, yeah. For <laughs> RIP. They so, eventually, right? Right. They have to. Please. Okay. Please. We needed this. <laughs> now more than ever we need yes. this um yeah but um so for me i do love his m fortas and parsifal i think onegin being one of my if not my most favorite opera of all time which is like a tall last time i was on this all i did was talk about tchaikovsky and i realized this is not going to be any different um <laughs> that's fine yeah yeah so um yeah, I mean, I just really love Onegin as an opera, and that was the, it has that place of nostalgia in my heart from it being the first thing that I saw him in, being like, this dude sings like this? Like, we just let him walk around singing like this? Is this allowed? <laughs> is this, is this allowed? <laughs> yeah. How do we feel about him, like, maybe doing Pontula one day? I feel like he hasn't done um, any Puccini, really, but, yeah. like, no. I don't know. I feel like he maybe does have a big enough voice for Jack Rance, but I don't know if he's dramatic enough. He may be a little bit too lyrical. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I think the Puccini is a hard, it's a hard uh, oeuvre for a lyric baritone. But yeah. everyone told him he couldn't do Amportas and he did that. So. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, also, exactly. Vocek, uh, when he did Vocek. Vo yeah, Vocek. Yeah, like, was out of left field. Listen. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. very different. And um, what is it? This was a recent radio broadcast from 2009, but uh, Oh my God, I'm forgetting who it, who the composer is. Uh, from the uh, Janacek's from the House of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a very demanding. I mean, there, yeah. he's only in like 30 minutes of the opera, but it's a very demanding role. Um, his so I don't know. Check. His was yeah. <laughs> awesome. That, it, it was crazy. I went to see that alone, and the guy, the the guy, like when I went to the box office to collect my ticket, he was like, "Oh, like we can't have you back there," and printed me a new ticket for like the second row because when you go alone sometimes and they like just fill holes in the orchestra and so I was like I was like right there and I was like this is actually a little too hot it was like really overwhelming because that it was that William Kentridge production so there was mm -hmm. like a million projections yeah. and things going on but I, I actually before that production even um was mounted at the Met I wrote a paper on it <laughs> for a class in college because I was so excited about seeing Peter Matei in it that I literally wrote a paper on the whole production about how it was like an actually good production and why some other like very naturalist uh realist productions like don't do the opera justice yeah I wrote like a 15 page paper on it all just because I liked Peter Matei <laughs> I had a professor in undergrad who's like close personal friends with William Kentridge and I like I was I know I was crazy I didn't know until I was like just chatting I usually liked opera so I was like chatting with her at opera I was like seeing this Vocek and she was like oh yes William and I was like William and she was like yeah after she's South African which is why I'm doing a weird voice yeah after I should I shouldn't do a weird voice what if you after I saw his Lulu I was like William your work is incredible but this obsession with women's pubic hair. <laughs> Enough! Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, uh, um, okay. Wow. I would pay so much money to have seen that conversation in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But some, Kelly, to your point, something that I love about Peter Matei is how strategically he adds roles to his reps. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. he's never saying something that he's not totally prepared for. Like you never oh, yeah. him go out mm-hmm. and be like, "Uh oh, that one yeah. needs more time <laughs> in the oven." Why is he saying this? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, he, yeah, he's never. very aware of his own voice and his own perform. I keep hitting the mic. I'm sorry. That's me. <laughs> sorry. If this comes out poor, if this comes out poorly, let the record reflect that I'm the one messing it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's very aware of his voice and his performance. Um, not only vocally, but also I think maybe in an acting sense Um, he is one of the most impressive people to watch act on stage in opera today in my opinion so yeah yeah. he can really act it's 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 really impressive I know when you talk about opera when you go from talking about theater to talking about opera it's like the, the, the bar is on the floor where you're like oh so yeah, true. yeah. <laughs> even like he's a great actor he I mean I think he is but like mm-hmm. in, in the world of opera it's like oh my god he tries <laughs> yeah I've gotten like so much better over the years too like I don't mm-hmm. know if you two like know the phrase like park and bark but like you know like <laughs> back in the day like the Joan Sutherland's and like Pavarotti's they just Park and bark. Yeah, <laughs> they just like stood there and sang, and exactly. it's like that was fine. They were like, "This is all we have to do." Yeah. Um, a YouTube comment I loved once was it was on a video of Natalie Desay where she's sort of like flinging herself around the stage and like rolling around, and one of the comments was like, "If this is acting, I'm glad Joan Sutherland never tried it." <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> oh dang, that's hard. Wow. Yeah, and like. <laughs> Something that that does remind me, though, and I'm going to bring this up only because we're being so positive right now. I think it's time we just mention one negative thing, and it's not about Peter Matei, actually. Um, <laughs> it is about a certain someone that I know all three of us do not like, um, who happened to be in the Oneagin mm. that he was in that we saw at the Met, mm-hmm. um, and she cannot act. No. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just really bad when you, you have Peter Matei. She tries. I don't know if that's better. I don't. No. <laughs> I don't either because it's not convincing. But see, the great thing is then you had, um, I thought Peter Matei, and I forget who was playing Lensky in that production. I forget the singer's name. Was it Pyotr Bechkala? No, it wasn't Pyotr what? Bechkala. It was oh, someone not, not as known, I think, yeah. as him. Um, he, he, I loved him. He was great. He was a, an amazing Lensky. Um, it's really great when you get to kind of shift your focus to that side of the production. Yeah. Um, which was like, you know, it's unfortunate that the Tatiana was not up to par in terms mm-hmm. of her acting ability against Peter Matei's. But, you know, like, that's that's okay. Like, yeah, he was still really good. Um, but that's just goes to show that, like, that kind of acting skill is not the norm still, like, at all. <laughs> no way. Yeah, oh, that's what I like that that Met. Um, this is like such a shallow cut, but the Met Barbara Seville is so the one that like sort of like inaugurated the simulcast is so mm-hmm. delightful because it's Peter Matei, Juan Diego Flores, and Joyce Ignato. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I sort of have so a lovely relationship with some of the voices in that cast, but all three of them can just act their freaking faces off and they all have such chemistry with each other. So it's like mm-hmm. it's like delicious. Yeah, yeah. no, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. And I guess speaking of chemistry, there's like some um singers like that have sung Fanchula that I want to kind of talk about later, but they actually have like really good chemistry. Like, so we will get to that definitely. <laughs> but yeah, cool. I guess, anyways, let's sort of um, get into it. So, okay, so what we're going to do um, for everyone listening so there's three acts in uh, Fanchula, and there's three of us. So we're each going to take an act and sort of like walk through it and, you know, like make comments and stuff as we go along. Um, so I'm going to start us out with act one. So let's 
I'm going to do a little bit of background first. Um, so Fanchula, La Fanchula de West was premiered in 1910. It was commissioned and forced, first performed at the Met. Um, it was the first world premiere of an opera at the Met, actually, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and Toscanini was the first conductor, uh, and Enrico Caruso was the first Dick Johnson. So, like, heavy hitters <laughs> already. I do think we need to address, before we get started, the elephant in the room, which is the fact that the tenor lead in this opera is named Dick Johnson. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, want to yes, extend do. my my permission to the listening audience to laugh yes every <laughs> time his name is penis, penis. His name. it is funny <laughs> penis, yeah. penis. and i thought penis penis. Penis. <laughs> yeah literally i was dying every time they said his name i would laugh because i'm like 12 and my mom <laughs> i was saying it with my mom and she was like elbow in the ribs every single time until the line that broke her was when rance says you're perfect Johnson. After <laughs> Minnie, he goes, You're perfect Johnson from Sacramento. And my mom oh, like, no. loses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, Piccini, did you know? Like, I don't you, I mean, that's the question because it is originally a play by Belasco, right? Yeah. By David Belasco. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. like, do we know if Puccini got the joke? Like, I, I wonder. I <laughs> no just. No way. No, okay. I don't, I, I I don't like know. A million dollars, he had no idea. <laughs> and that just makes it so much funnier that he's just like unknown. Like, yeah, yeah, this like romantic lead and his yeah, name. Yeah, hero. Dick Johnson. <laughs> 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 that's my caveat. I, yeah. I welcome the giggles. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so it was um, originally first a David Belasco play, um, The Girl of the Golden West. Um, he is the same guy who actually wrote uh, stage adaption of uh, Madame Butterfly, which uh, Puccini also adapted. So, yeah, so he was, I guess, kind of like a big playwright at the time. Um, so, yeah, so um, when we start the opera, so the opera is set in a mining camp um, at the foot of the Cloudy Mountains in California. So it's like a gold rush, like mining town. Um, and it's in a bar called the Polka. And I was actually, so I was reading a little bit of the of the libretto earlier today, and, like, Puccini is, like, always, like, very specific in his librettos about, like, describing the scene and, like, describing the actions of, like, the different characters, um, which is really good because, like, I mean, like, you know exactly, like, what's going to happen on the stage, unless the director, like, decides to do something completely different, which sometimes happens, but um, <laughs> in a lot of cases, like, you know exactly, like, what it is, but... Um, in the libretto, it actually says, like, it's describing the polka, and it says that there's a sign, like, hanging over the banister that says, a real home for the boys. <laughs> what? Cracking over the cold one with the boys. No, the literally, that's, that's, like, what I thought. It was just, like, Saturdays are for the boys, or, like, just, like, a flat house banner. <laughs> That is my Saturday is for the boys. Yeah, if someone did not gift me a, a real home for the boys sign for my apartment, I, I do not have a friend in this world. We're developing merch, guys. Uh, yeah. It's going to be Pater Mate fan club shirts and a real home for the boys sign. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, like, I saw that and I just, I laughed so hard because I'm like, yes, it literally is, like, just, like, a, a little frat house of just, like, all these, like, mining bros just, like, hanging out. The other thing that's really funny to me is my brain can't stop messing it as a uh, messing it up as a home for the real boys. <laughs> Thinking about like Pinocchio, Muppet, Muppet, home for the real boys. The, the boys, yeah. the 
boys do have a kind of Muppetesque quality in this opera. They do. They do. Yes. Yeah, they do. We'll kind of get into that. So, yeah, so they start out, the miners start coming in, and they all call to each other, hello, hello, with that double Italian L. We love so that. <laughs> we love English and Italian. Yes. One of my favorite parts of this opera, where you may mention it, but it's when they say whiskey. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> my yeah. favorite things of all time whiskey per tutti <laughs> whiskey <laughs> it's and then so good when you have like the Met production it's Americans playing Italians playing Americans so it's just like <laughs> multiple levels here but yeah so they're all calling to each other like hello hello Joe hello Nick and they're singing uh, do da do da day in heavy Italian accents <laughs> which is just we love it <laughs> just so so much <laughs> so much um but yeah so they they kind of like sit around do their thing um all the miners are uh, very much in love with Minnie um and uh they keep asking Nick they're like Nick is a bartender um and they say oh yeah am I her favorite and he's like oh yeah yeah and he does that to like three separate miners and he's like all reassuring them like, oh yeah you're Minnie's favorite of course yeah um and because after he says that to them they're like Drinks for everybody. It's on me. <laughs> so I guess that's the way to like keep business at the bar up. It's just you gotta make that money. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Get those tips, um, Nick. And that's that's mini also with the double Italian consonant. Yeah. So it's mini. 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 <laughs> Hello, mini. Mini. <laughs> so good. We love that. Yeah. So then um, Jake Wallace, uh, who's like the camp singer, he comes in um, and he sings a song and the miners join in. Um, and I was doing research about this and this song is actually derived from two different songs in a collection of uh, Native American Zuni melodies that were recorded by ethnomusicologist Carlos Troyer, um, which we know Puccini liked to do this a lot. He um, like used like I think some Japanese and Chinese melodies and Butterfly and then I think also Thorndorf too. Um, it is interesting kind of hmm a little bit that so he was originally planning to use like authentic Native American music for uh, the uh, the servant uh, vocal I think is how you pronounce her name but um, he ended up using it for Jake Walls instead. So <laughs> be like a minstrel like a blackface minstrel singer or am i am i misremembering he might be i mean i think it, it does say <clears throat> minstrel i'm i'm not certain if it's supposed to be a, specifically a blackface minstrel but it very well could be because i mean yeah, it I'm is the sure time of that i feel so. like i read that somewhere yeah so this is just one of those moments in puccini office where like you you see it and you're like hmm especially if you know the context of it um yeah. They've pretty much yeah. all got them. So. Yeah. But it is actually a very, a very pretty song. And um, there's like a really nice chorus part where the miners come in and they all sort of sing together. And sort of this like nostalgic, like remembering of home because all the miners are away from their homes to like mine um, for their families and stuff. Um, and so they sing this. And then one of the miners, Jim, he starts to cry and he says he's homesick. And all the miners uh, collect money to send them home, which is like, it's really sweet, actually. <laughs> like one of those moments where it's like um i don't know like kind of like yeah boys will be boys but like in a good way you know <laughs> it's not a house for boys. yeah it's not yeah. a house for the boys it's a home for the boys <laughs> yes <laughs> oh man yeah 
so that's kind of sweet. Um, and then some of the miners, uh, they start playing cards, and they discover that another miner, Sid, is cheating, and they get really mad, and they want to shoot him. Um, but then Jack Grant, the sheriff, comes in, um, and he says, no, 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 we, don't, we won't do that. Um, instead, we will pin the cards to his chest as a sign of a cheater, and if he takes them off, then we'll hang them. So. This always bothers me because it means the whole deck is unusable now. Yeah, you're like, right. <laughs> you're, you're missing like three cards from the deck now. Like, yeah. why not just yeah. throw the whole thing in the garbage? <laughs> right? Uh, I actually used to work at a, um, this is going to sound weird without a ton of context, but I used to work at a gentleman's club, which is not uh, a dancing establishment. I would like to preface that but rather it is one of those very um rich white people clubs that, where you have to like be okay. invited to join i just worked there as a server but um we had club members who used to play bridge and we had to open a new pack of cards every single day five days a week for them like people are like it's so them. aggravating yeah they would be like no like we can't we won't know if there's all the cards so it's oh like my god <laughs> yeah, i think yeah, you well, have to do a that. lot of money <laughs> yeah i think you have to do that at casinos anyways yeah like, literally mm -hmm. like every time you start a new game but yeah, no, that is annoying because like now like there's this whole deck of cards and I mean <laughs> this is the thing we're hyper a whole lot of like extra stuff out there like you know it's stuff right. only probably comes like every couple of weeks so yeah they are kind of, of in the in the middle of nowhere or at least most of the productions really do give you the sense because this is yeah. supposed to be you know California during the mining boom mm -hmm. uh, that like there's pretty much nothing around them um, yeah so. <laughs> don't waste your cards kids yeah <laughs> so yeah so after that um we have a mr ashby of the wells fargo agency <laughs> he comes in um Please, and in italian like, I love, the I love most it. natural you know l'agenzia de wells fargo yes. <laughs> <laughs> at least fargo kind of like makes it halfway in but wells just l'agenzia de wells fargo <laughs> And it's just like, it's so funny as like an American audience member. I don't know if like people from like other countries have the same reaction as us, but like, it's, it's like, I think I said this uh, to you earlier, Sylvia, but it's like, it's like someone singing like Chase Bank, just like on like a, a Met Opera stage. Like, it's like, what? Sponsored by? Like, huh? What is this? Yeah, um, I think it's also funny in the post like Wells Fargo drama of the like 2000s, 2010s. It's like, oh, this is vintage Wells Fargo, but yeah. all the uh, stealing money. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe what, doing the stealing money in the early days. Who knows? Yeah. A very vintage, actually, because not only is he part of a bank, he is also in charge of like chasing down gangs of thieves and like rounding them up. Um, so that's what he's doing, is he is chasing this gang of thieves uh, led by someone called Ramirez. We don't know who that is yet, but we will later. Um, and then he also says that it's not safe to keep so much of the miners' gold at the polka. Um, but Nick is kind of like, eh, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> so, um, and then another miner, Sonora, he toasts Minnie as his future wife, because he's one of the guys that Nick was like, oh yeah, yeah, she's, you're definitely her favorite. So he's like, so she's going to be my future wife. Um, and that makes Jack Rance really mad because Jack Rance is also in love with Minnie, as is everybody. Um, and they always shoot each other because they get so mad at each other. But this is when Minnie comes in. Have, Hello, Minnie. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's so good um, how this opera is literally just two and a half hours of Jack Rance experiencing male rage. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like he's mad the whole time. From the, the second talk. you meet him until the end of the opera, <laughs> he is just pissed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, the angry baritone representation. That's what we need. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Minnie comes in and she sort of intervenes. She says, like, calm down, you know, whatever. Um, all the miners are, like, just in puppy love with her. They adore her and they try to give her these presents. Like, one of them says, I picked these flowers for you. I went all the way to the stream to get them for you. And this other one says, I gave you this, I got you this ribbon. It matches, like, the color of your lips um, and all this. And it's actually, I feel like... It could come off as like kind of weird or creepy, but it doesn't because like it's just, it really is just sort of like just like sort of like puppy love, you know, like it's just it's very like innocent. I feel like like they're almost like sort of just like, I don't know, like Hindu miners. It's like and they just like they just love her. <laughs> yeah, Which this is, is where that that Muppety quality that Sylvia yes. was mentioning <laughs> really kind of comes in. Or I mean, you were both mentioning it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Yeah, they're very, like, yeah, they are, what are what do people call it? Like, the golden retriever boyfriend or whatever yeah. they say? I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know anything about men. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, so. The movie has one human actor. <laughs> like, Minnie is human. Yes. And- Yes, that is what she I'm is saying. The Ebenezer Scrooge of this Muppet yeah, Christmas the Carol. Yes. There's that picture Michael going Quinn. around of uh, Kermit with like the cowboy hat, yeah. and I'm like that Kermit as Dick Johnson, and then like Minnie is like the one human, yeah. and like all the rest of the miners are Muppets. Like that's and that's how it works. <laughs> Dick Johnson has famously been played by famous Muppet sound alike, famous Kermit sound alike, Jonas Kaufman. <laughs> If you've listened oh to my Jonas God. Kaufman's modern yes. album, <laughs> you will know what we are speaking of. Yes. He's played it's Kermit sharp. on his Christmas album, and he's it's... played Dick Johnson in La Punch of the West. <laughs> Jonas Kaufman oh as Kermit God. the Frog as himself. Um, it's great. Go give it a listen, but also prepare yourself just a little. Yeah, I would say Mariah Carey fans steer clear. <laughs> yeah. So, just skip just it. Yeah. But oh my god okay so yeah so and then Minnie um she reads to them out of the bible um which apparently she's been giving them like bible lessons um and she says a verse that basically says uh everyone is deserving of salvation which is sort of a foreshadowing thing um that we find out later but I do want to actually take a moment because um when I was actually doing research for the podcast last week, which is about like opera and spirituality, um, I saw a quick thing about um, Panchula and that in the original play, she wasn't actually reading to them out of the Bible. She was reading like classical literature to them and teaching them classical literature. And so Puccini and his librettist changed it to like Bible lessons for the story, um, which I guess, kind of goes back to this thing like I feel like a lot of Puccini operas are about spirituality or in some way or like morality connected to spirituality or religion and I feel like this is like sort of a prime example of that is changing it from classical literature into like bible lessons so yeah it gives off um big uh 
Well, I mean, it's very reminiscent of something like Tosca, which is a very mm -hmm. uh, religion-focused opera. I mean, you know, there's its own, there's their own, this whole love story of, you know, between Floria Tosca and Ma uh, Mario Cavaradossi. But then, like, the whole, the whole thing basically feels like it takes place in a church, has to do with the church. Um, and um, as someone who was in the children's chorus once in Tosca, that's one of my two claims to fame. Yeah. Um, you, that Tadeum is like, when you learn that, it's very traditional. And I, I mean, I, of course, I am, have been in a Catholic church like one time in my life. Um, so I really don't know those sort of Catholic rituals, but um, the chorus master, because we're, we were literal children, came and she was telling us like, yeah, so this is like, there are ways you have to sing this basically to make it sound as accurate as possible to what goes on in a church. Cause that was the kind of production that obviously that a lot of Toscas are, are done in that way. Um, and I had never thought about that. Um, and yeah, you know, the more that I've noticed, you know, how spiritual, how spirituality comes up in all of Puccini's different operas. Um, and knowing now that this was not originally about, you know super religious and she wasn't reading to them from the bible that really uh changes your sort of perspective on like how much influence or like religious influence did the composer himself have on the content of this opera that wasn't originally part of the source material yeah and like i mean there's a lot of similarities between this opera and tosca i feel like like a lot of them um i mean down to the um the steaming baritone who wants the soprano for himself but like she she doesn't return his affections and stuff like Rent that and scarpia are straight up the same character like yeah, straight basically. up like i saw this at the met in the same week that i saw tosca and it, the same singer uh i don't you know how to pronounce his name Vel Vel yeah Zelkolucic. i was like we're gonna get there at some point where well, somebody's gonna have to butcher it yeah, he was scarpia and then one week later he was rance and i was like ah this motherfucker again yes <laughs> yeah. this guy but i think i also think that i think puccini really likes his heroines to be quite pious like i think yeah. that like mm -hmm. leather you know because puccini operas he's always like dumping on the heroine and i think that that that's more interesting to him if she's like got a specific sort of like cosmography that she's relating her sorrows to although mm -hmm. that's kind of the exception right yeah like she's trying she's doing everything she needs to do to be like tosca this is i mean yeah this is kind of the exception so um in you know in this opera there's not as much of the dumping on the heroine but in tosca it's like she does all these things to be a perfect pious woman but then like she's also kind of jealous and it's like uh she might actually suck a little bit and it's like okay well <laughs> hold on <laughs> um God. yeah i do love um again gonna butcher the names alkaluchik as scarpia and as rance i do really like him as rance um i remember I think I, I don't even know how. I might have just seen a clip. I might have seen him in a production of Tosca as Scarpia. And I Scarpia is one of those roles where it's like, this is the worst person I have mm -hmm. ever thought about in my entire <laughs> life. And yet I love watching people play that role. It is so this I love the singing in that role. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. I just really do. Um he's the worst, but I and going back to that Todayum, that Todayum is one of my favorite things Puccini has ever written just because of the way that you have that classical religious sort of music and then you have this this really it's very sinister and the scarpia layering over the chorus is so good um 
so yeah it's like at the same time that it's like he loves to fit into this stereotype of like the evil baritone i'm like i'll take it i mean like you know with these two i'll take it with other ones <laughs> like okay i start to lose interest and rance it's like interesting because it's like they're these evil baritones but they it's pretty explicitly presented as like a battle of wits between them and the soprano and the tenor's just like there i guess but mm, it, yeah. it makes the evil baritones much more interesting that they're not just like oh i'm 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 gonna exploit this woman and ruin her life they are like i'm gonna exploit this woman and ruin her life but it's like so explicitly like uh if i can outsmart her thing that i think it's like a little more spice yeah there's definitely some spice to it i totally agree also like these yeah and now that we're talking about this in comparison to tosca i'm like keep thinking of things i'm like oh the himbo tenor like mario cabaradosi yeah, yeah. is like the himbo tenor he is yeah. so dumb yeah that guy is so dumb and I, I like i'm sorry but he just makes so many like all of his decisions i wouldn't say they're poor but they're just like they those decisions are so explicitly used against him in that opera in like every single way and it's just like Man, you could not have a worse break in life, could you, right now? It's like Dick is a little smarter than that. He just, ha I, as we will talk about, just happens to be unconscious for all the most interesting parts. Of yeah, <laughs> and that's not his fault. But right, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's see, where was I? Um, so yeah, so she reads to them out of the Bible. Um, we have the foreshadowing of everyone is deserving of salvation, um, which we'll come back to. Um, and then the mail comes uh, with a postcard from a person called uh, Nino Mikol uh, Torrena, um, who reveals like Ramirez's hideout. Um, so Mr. Ashby, the Wells Fargo agent, he sort of leaves with Rance to sort of like talk about that, like what they're going to do about that. Um, the miners, they're reading letters from home and they get emotional. And then Rance comes back and he tells Minnie he loves her. She refuses him. Um, she says that she's waiting for the right man. Um, and he is mad about this because he is perpetually angry in this opera. Um, so, I love, yeah. Sorry, not to slow us down too badly, but I, I love, there's this incredible moment here. I think it's here where Rance is like, well, why not me then, basically? He's like, what, mm -hmm. what do you mean, the love? Like, that's <laughs> not a thing. And she's like, well, people first, don't exist. Yeah, she's yeah. like, well, first of all, you have a wife. Second yeah. of all, <laughs> totally lost over. Second of all, and then she tells this incredible story about her parents, where she she has this lovely sort of um, uh, soliloquy, I guess, where she she says her parents like used to own a restaurant, and she would help out, and she would like hide under the table and see them playing footsie, like in the middle of a long shift, and like this is her image when when Minnie thinks about like a true enduring love, like the sort of love and intimacy that she wants. She, what she imagines is like two like hardworking simple people who are like still sort of finding time for these moments of little intimacies even though like you know life is chaotic whatever I just think that's such a lovely piece of characterization for her where she like has this really really small scale lovely outlook on life where she just she she sort of aspires to a bigness that she knows is not immediately available to her like she reads novels and she like wants to be a very interesting person but her experience of the world is quite limited and she feels quite insecure about it but when she when she like imagines what love is it's this beautiful beautiful image of like tenderness and intimacy in the everyday and i just it just knocks me off my feet every time i'm like that's just lovely like that is just i think some of the most like carefully done nuanced lovely character building in in any opera certainly of this period where things tend to be a little 
you know, like Tosca it comes on stage and just starts screaming. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. I get what this girl's deal is. Mm-hmm. It's like this, like, her character, like, blossoms like a flower in this opera. And I just am so, I love her so much. I love the background that we get, uh, like, about Minnie in this opera that I feel like we don't really get that with, like, a lot of Puccini heroines. Um, and, like, the more that I was, like, actually, like, really diving into this opera, like, the more, like, I felt like, I was like, I really, really like Minnie as a character. Um, yeah, she's so sympathetic. And, you yeah. you know, she's very sympathetic at the same time as, like, so, like, a character like Mimi in Bohem, you know, she's mm-hmm. very sympathetic. Minnie is sympathetic in a different way. In a human way. She, yeah, yeah, in a human way. She's much more developed as a character. Mimi, you're like, oh, my God, this girl is dying. I feel so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Minnie, there are these, like, you know, particularly if you can really get someone who plays the role too in a, in a sort of complex way um you really get that that sense of I don't know you know just yeah what Sylvia was saying that sort of development about her as a character that care that's been taken to make her seem real mm-hmm. yeah no I I love the it, it, it's something that we just like I mean we don't see with a lot of female opera characters in general but like also just like with Puccini operas so it, it's really nice to see those little like moments of backstory there um okay so let me see so okay so then after that so Nick the bartender comes back and he says that there is a stranger outside asking for whiskey and water um which Minnie she kind of like makes fun of at first she's like oh we, we take straight whiskey here. Like, what's, what's his deal, man? But um, but then when he comes in, she recognizes him um, because apparently they had met earlier on the Monterey Trail and, like, picked flowers and, like, blackberries together, something like that. It's like, actually so sweet. It's really yeah. cute. It's, like, it's a nice cute. Yeah. It's very cottagecore. It yeah. is. And she picked flowers together, and she's like, sorry, I'm so obsessed with Minnie. I'm going to go on. No, please. She's, yeah, she's literally it. just like, I wonder if he remembers me. Like, she's not even like, this is the great love, whatever. She's like giddy because she's like, I've been thinking about this, like, chance encounter. I wonder if he's been thinking about me. And he has. Yeah. He has. <laughs> he's whipped. Yeah. <laughs> I love the productions where, like, you sort of see that moment between them where, like, they see yeah. each other and then they realize that they that they know each other. It's just like, oh, my God. And actually, so I was watching um, a production yesterday. It was, like, the Dutch National Opera. Um, it was really interesting. We can talk about this later for a number of reasons because it wasn't set in the West. It was set, like, in New York and like, I think it was New York in the 1950s or something like that. Anyways, but... When it's it, it, it really interesting, but anyways, when when Nick says that there's someone who's asking for whiskey and water, Mimi sort of goes like, "Oh my god," and then like sort of like hides it. And so then, it, like we're kind of like left realizing, like, is that something that Johnson like told her, like, if I ever come to see you, like this is what I'll ask for, like a sort of like a, a signal between them, which is not in the libretto, but it's just I love that like sort of extra detail there. I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of cool. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. You know, I think it, that's a really good uh, example of, you know, things that would be really fun to see happen more in opera, which is like taking the material that you're given and not being like, we have to not, we can't add anything to this, but instead being like, you know, we can take some actual sort of direction uh, liberty with this and add in, you know, 
character development where it's not always there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, Dick Johnson comes in and he introduces himself as Johnson from Sacramento. Um, Johnson de Sacramento. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Rance is instantly jealous and also instantly suspicious. He thinks that this guy is in line with Ramirez, which we later learn is, you know, an accurate assumption, but um, it kind of just comes across as like jealousy because Minnie is obviously so enthralled with this with this new guy. Um, so yeah, so and then so Ashley comes back uh, with a captured member of Ramirez's gang um, who is telling them like where they can find the hideout where Ramirez and his gang are like um, staying, but we later find out that he actually allowed himself to be captured to sort of throw them off the trail. And he sort of like whispers this to Johnson like in the wings or whatever. Um, and he says that someone will whistle later like that night and then he's supposed to respond when the coast is clear and then they can come in and steal all the gold that is being kept at the polka so um and then so all the miners lead they sort of like go off in search of this like lead um that is going to be end up being a dead end um but johnson lingers behind as minnie sort of like closes up shop and he asks if he can steal a kiss from her (laughs) And she says, well, many have tried, but I've never actually been kissed before. (laughs) She's like, you know, this is my first kiss, um, (laughs) but I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. Um. (laughs) Uh, And she also says that she trusts him. She's like, I I don't really know you, but I feel like I can trust you, Um, which I think is like huge, really. Like, I mean, she doesn't know this guy. Like, they met like once, like on this trail um but like somehow like she knows like through this like sort of instantaneous connection that we see in operas all the time that like she can trust him um but we as an audience if you don't know the story like we're always like no Minnie don't trust him because like we know that he is Ramirez at this point and so um yeah I feel like if you don't know the story the audience is just like screaming like no don't do it but (laughs) um but yeah, it all turns out fine. We'll, we'll later find out. But anyways, so she says that she trusts him, but she is like a poor, insignificant, like uneducated girl. And she wishes that she could sort of bring herself up to his level. Um, and then, oh, I forgot. I, I forgot about this. They, they were dancing earlier um, in the act too. So they were dancing and they had this like moment together. And then so, so Johnson says that like when they were dancing, he felt this strange joy um and he and she like reacts to that like like oh my goodness like yeah me too (laughs) sort of thing um and she says that he can say goodbye to her at her cabin which is halfway up the mountain a little bit kind of scandalous (laughs) a little bit yeah um and she also shows him the keg of gold that she keeps safe for all the miners um and she gets really passionate she's like these miners haven't trusted me with their money that they they make to like send back to like their family and their friends at home and like this is so important and i like i really need to take care of this and johnson's like oh no don't worry like it'll be safe like you don't have to worry about that and then like that's another moment where the audience is like no don't trust (laughs) um yeah and then we hear the signal the signal comes from um 
one of his uh, one of his gang members, but and he hears it, but he doesn't answer. So that's I guess that's sort of a cue that you know maybe he's not as into like the sort of like um, thievery that he's been doing for like um, like just like the past like however long, but um, maybe he's like thinks about something else now. Maybe so. Anyways. Um, so, and then he starts to leave, and then Minnie starts to cry, because she sort of, like, feels unworthy of, um, like, his love, basically. Um, but he comes back, and he comforts her, and he says that she has a good and pure soul and a face of an angel. And then he leaves, and then the last, this is, like, my, my favorite part of the act, because, like, the music is, like, so beautiful here, but, like, she literally, like, repeats herself, like, a face of an angel and like she has this huge smile on her face and then like the act ends and it's just like i love it it's so cute it's so good so earnest like yes, yeah and this whole thing where it's like she thinks she's not good enough for him she's this random uneducated girl blah 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 meanwhile she takes it upon herself to like read the bible to these men in the bar in the saloon and it's like yeah like obviously there's an element of like this is religious education or whatever but then it's also like okay but she is she can read and she is trying to pass on knowledge to other people and like there is a way in which that is a little bit admirable it's also um, she's like, I'm poor, I'm uneducated, but just like she cares for so many people that she can say that about herself. And you're like, well, but why does that matter? Yeah, it's, she, I just, I love how, um, I mean, she's, she feels like, I guess, like, unworthy, quote, unquote, because she's like, I, I'm just like insignificant. I've loved, I've led this like very little life. Like, I haven't really done much. I've just, like, been here in this saloon and this bar for, like, pretty much my my whole life. And she doesn't really feel like she's, like, making a difference. But then Jonathan comes in and he's like, no, you are. And you have a good soul. And I can see that about you. And I know that you are, like, doing something important. And I feel like that's just, like, this validation that, like, she hasn't really gotten from anybody before. Like, and he sees her for who she really is, which is just, like... Oh my gosh <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of a jane Eyre insecurity except uh much more wholesome yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah much much less i also have a wife locked in the attic um yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's rance rance is, yeah, rance is the one with the wife in the attic as he has yeah. told us as he's literally <laughs> said to her but... justice for mrs rance yeah <laughs> okay so yeah so that's the end of act one um so yeah so sylvia take it away i'm, I'm taking over act two Okay, act two, curtain up, Minnie's cabin. Um, we have uh, a, a little, um, what I would refer to as a racism interlude mm, yeah. um, with uh, Minnie's servant, this, who is a Native American woman. I, I think her name was pronounced Walco? Please yeah, I think, I think it's, so. it's yeah. like Walco or yeah. yeah. Yeah, and her boyfriend, uh, whose name is Billy Jackrabbit, we do some stereotypes, we do some accents it's not good Minnie's getting ready for Johnson to visit she like puts on her best dress she puts on her best shoes even they don't even though they don't fit her she like puts on her little rose and her in her in her uh, bodice um she's clearly very nervous Johnson comes in they talk she tells him all about her life um 
and it starts to snow and he's asking for a kiss. She's nervous, but eventually they kiss and, and she asks him to stay till morning since the paths, the trails are going to be totally snowed in. Um, and he's like, okay, okay. He takes a bed. She's on the rug. Not cool. No. Not cool. I'll let her have her bed. Not that's, That no. always bothered me. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Be a gentleman. And they're literally, they're like snuggled in to go to sleep. And it's like very much a sleepover vibe when she's like, um, well, first of all, she, after they kiss, I forgot this. After they kiss, she's like, I don't even know your first name. <laughs> and he's like, Dick. Dick. My name is Penis Penis. <laughs> my, my, now you may have thought my last name was Penis, but here's the kicker. My first name is also, also penis. penis. And she's like, which is so funny. It's like, it's, it's I Dick. Dick in Italian is another one of those words that just never gets old. It's so yeah. good. Um, anyway, so they're, they're, you know, they're about to go to sleep and she's like, now hold up. Like, do, do you have a girlfriend named Nina Michelle Terena? And he's like, no, a lie, whatever. Um, so then suddenly a knock on the door. It's like the whole posse and she hides Dick um, and they all come in and they're like, that guy, you haven't seen that guy, have you a stranger from the bar? And she's like, no, of course not. And they're like, okay, well, that's Ramirez. <laughs> that's, he's actually Ramirez. He's the bandit. He's here to steal the gold, you know, and then, and then they leave. And she, so she, then obviously Johnson comes out and she gets very angry at him. And she says a line, which I love, where she's like, now I know you're a thief. You've stolen my first kiss, which is just so like, mm, now. Yeah. Um, and she's like, get the fuck out of my house. And he gets the fuck out of her house, but she hears a gunshot. And someone has shot him, and she helps him back in, and she hides him in the attic or the, the loft or whatever. Um, and Rance comes in. He's like, yeah, okay, I know he's here. I just shot him. And she's like, no, he's not. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Prove it. And he, like, looks everywhere, and he's just about to be like, okay, I cannot find this man, when suddenly a drop of blood falls like on his jacket and it's coming through the ceiling from the now I think unconscious Dick Johnson not doing attic. so hot Dick Johnson not doing so hot Dick <laughs> like Johnson every so they drag him down the stairs he, yeah. he literally takes like over an hour to die like you would think yeah. that like if he got shot in like the stomach or whatever like okay like yeah. 30 minutes like Look, he's gone he's bleeding but... enough for the blood to soak through the fucking <laughs> Just so floor. much and yet he dead. survived <laughs> Somehow he is still so, doing okay. You're fine. <laughs> so they bring Johnson down from the attic, and Minnie makes Rance an offer. They're going to play poker, and if she wins, Johnson is hers to take. And if he wins, she'll marry him. So they have this whole poker game, and it's very dramatic. It's kind of funny because... Johnson's just lying on the ground <laughs> next to them, like, bleeding like out. Clearly, <laughs> having a poker game, there's like a nearly dead body on the <laughs> on the ground, just like snoozing. But it's especially funny in the context of like theater because, like, like Jonas Kaufman has been lying on the ground for forty minutes, um, and they play the poker game, and it's like very dramatic, it's very tense. A lot of it is spoken instead of sung, which is like extra dramatic and tense. She wins the first round. He wins the second round. Okay, so now it's the deciding round. She hides cards in her stockings and pretends to faint. And when he, like, goes to get her water, she, like, switches her hand and she wins by cheating. Um, 
And this to our point about like Rance and Scarpia being kind of more interesting evil characters than many, this is a moment that really compels me where she's like, I win, and he's like, Buona notte, and leaves. He's like, Deal's a deal, good night, um, which is kind of iconic. And she goes like crazy, like, I did it, I did it. <laughs> um, big, you know, swelling dramatic music. Uh, it's awesome. It, yeah, what can I say? It fucking rolls. I love this opera. It's the greatest card game in theatrical history. Yeah, it's, that's act two. It's really good. And um, yeah, there's, I mean, I agree with you. There's something very admirable about the fact that Rance is just like, all right, I, I fucking lost. I gotta go. Um, yeah. Whereas Scarpia does, does not have that quality necessarily to me because oh. um, the whole point of the opera is that Tosca's like, no. And he's like, I don't care. Um, which is, you know, much more common, I, I would say, and I, you know, I agree with you, um, that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, male characters in opera who don't take no for an answer, and there's not a lot of male characters in opera that, um, like, respect, uh, the rules, I guess? That's not exactly what I'm trying to say, but it's, like, their morality and their ethics kind of, like, don't exist when it comes to mm -hmm. to women particularly to the like female protagonist of the opera um so he's got that going for him uh he may he does have a secret wife that he just <laughs> pretends doesn't exist but he does have that going for him i see she's like back home and wherever the hell he came from i think it's sort of like a you know what what happens during the gold rush stage, during the gold rush type situation. right it's like oh i have a wife in like uh missouri somewhere and uh, right. i'm here in monterey or you know wherever they're supposed to be right yeah yeah just in norcal you know. <laughs> exactly you know it's like you can't just let your husband go prospect for gold in california and not expect things to happen am i right ladies <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so like, what? To, um, act three, we should actually take a moment to talk about the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, for this yeah. act, before oh, I forget, yeah. it actually. So I forgot which part of the opera that happened in. I was gonna be. I'm gonna be completely honest yeah, with you. It's my fault because it actually happens first in Act One. So um, the first time I think that um, so Johnson is sort of like talking to Minnie, and he's like, uh, I think he's like he's saying like how he felt this like like instantaneous connection with her and it's literally the exact same notes that we hear in music of the night from the phantom of the opera and it's literally like their love scene. yeah, yeah. like we could not have plagiarized a more obvious yeah to this opera. wait i'm gonna share my screen so that i can share my audio yeah oh wait you have to you have to enable it for me <laughs> oh, do I? yeah it's it's yeah. really like yeah i mean it's not like it happens once in dick johnson's aria it's not like he's like oh this is just the end of my sentence it's like no they bring that back you know puccini he's always gonna bring that stuff back so yeah. um yeah he really Andrew Lloyd Webber really could not have um, <laughs> tried less. So I, this is, full disclosure, this is not my comparison. This is a YouTube video uploaded by someone who is simply named Edward. <laughs> like, their username is just Edward. And it's a, whole, it's a five and a half minute compilation of Andrew Lloyd Webber plagiarism moments, <laughs> which that rolls. So everyone go on YouTube, search, is Andrew Lloyd Webber a plagiarist? And you can hear how he also ripped off Pink Floyd and Brigadoon. The answer is <laughs> yes. <Here> is, <laughs> he is a plagiarist. <laughs> here is uh, 
Phantom of the Opera. So we're going to hear Phantom of the Opera first, I believe, and then we will hear the uh, the Fanchula bit. And, you know, you, everyone at home, you decide. Let the dream begin, let your darkest side give to the power of... So that's uh, that's that's just a list of um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's crimes for which <laughs> surely one day he will be punished. Just, just one, <laughs> just one crime among many that we will mention. One crime among too, too many. many to count, and not all of them musical. Some of them political. If you did not know oh, yes. that Andrew Lloyd Webber is a Tory, you are now welcome. Please investigate oh, accordingly. <laughs> this is always like oh, just so funny to me, though, because it's just like he just did not care like he just uh, exact ripoff like i this actually does happen um like not i would say fairly often but it does happen in musicals where like you take things from other people but like famously in wicked um the unlimited theme is like the first seven notes of um somewhere over the rainbow uh from the wizard of oz well now but this week yeah that, that's actually very <laughs> so valid it's in, it's in different uh rhythm and different harmonization mm. and then like i think steven schwartz made the joke that like oh i can take the first seven notes and like that's enough that i won't get a copyright like strike again <laughs> so, oh i would say that the first half of the chorus to david bowie's Starman is also somewhere over the rainbow yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's like you could have tried a little harder to disguise it but yeah the puccini estate did sue andrew lloyd webber and did win <laughs> that so, i would say that the courts agree with you Kelly. Yeah, <laughs> Sure this is uh you know the justice system has said yeah no you can't do that uh you can't just no. take the same music and make it a little bit slower <laughs> no no carceral but andrew whatever will pay for his crime yeah uh no <laughs> I mean, when we abolish prisons only andrew Lloyd Webber <laughs> <laughs> is the panopticon of, <laughs> of <laughs> He, he, I mean, he plagiarizes Pink Floyd also, which is so funny because it's like you want to start beef with Pink Floyd. Yeah, like, no. Wait, like wait. you're a wee little musicals man. Like Roger Waters is gonna kick your yeah. ass. Roger Waters will absolutely, <laughs> first of all, will absolutely kick anyone's ass. And when when did he? What did he plagiarize uh, Pink Floyd in? Oh, it's in that. It's on that video. I think it's. Uh, I mean, my first it? instinct is Jesus Christ Superstar, right? But like, and no, I think it's also Phantom. I think. That Phantom makes me Phantom hate Phantom of the Opera. I will come. It like uses a big chunk of the the Pink Floyd song Echo. Oh my god! I will come out and be the first person to say that I'm a massive Andrew Lloyd Webber hater. Like I know people <laughs> like Phantom of the Opera and don't like other Andrew Lloyd Webber operas. I do not or musicals. I do not like Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I do not like the Phantom of the Opera. Like here's what I'll say: I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber. I don't like Phantom of the Opera. Jesus Christ Superstar. Now that's just that is the only one that gets a pass. That is the only one that gets a pass. I am not too good to get down to Jesus Christ Superstar. Like, listen, here's what I'll say is, did I see Cats 2019? Yes. Was I oh, no. maybe repeating the songs in my head? Yes. Was that of my free will? No. Um, I do willingly listen to Jesus Christ Superstar, and that's like the only one. 
any sum of money. Yes. For Super Star Superstar, I listen. I choose to listen yeah, to. Yeah, um, I've seen Cats 2019 twice, and I don't re- recommend Why? it either time. No. My friends no. were like, "We're gonna watch it," and I was like, "Do you hate me? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. You did not pay me. Mm-mm. I did not see Cats. I will not see Cats. No. Don't. I, that's my that's my review. Is don't. <laughs> okay, so that was Act, act Two. Three. Let's go on to Act Three. I am Act Three. Um, so, uh, this is, there's a little slight passage of time, um, in which, uh, Dick Johnson is able to recover from, uh, almost dying, um, in Minnie's little, uh, cabin. Um, and he has now returned to his life of crime. Not, not certain, but he's, he's off running around doing some stuff and, uh, Mr. Ashby of the um, Agencia de Wells Fargo is um, is after him, and the miners are after him once again. Uh, you know, perhaps for having committed crimes in the past, perhaps for current crimes. That's not really clear. Um, and uh, this part, the beginning of this act, um, says it takes place in the Great Californian Forest, which I thought was really interesting. I was like, "What is the Great Californian Forest?" You know that one forest they have in California. <laughs> I was like, "Which one?" one. <laughs> like, um, the redwoods. Like, I, yeah, I what? <laughs> who knows? I, I, if Puccini could could find California on a map, I would be shocked. Uh, yeah, that would honest. I really don't know if he had that ability um so yeah anyway uh you know it's always good to have some final dramatic action happening in a forest so we'll just we'll just set it there um and uh nick the bartender and uh rance are chatting and they're like oh i don't get like why minnie wants to date this guy like he's such a loser talking about johnson when uh mr ashby comes in and he's like we we have johnson we've captured him we got him we found him in the californian forest the great californian forest and um we have him now he can pay for his crimes and they're all like great 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 um let's hang him uh so they they all immediately are going straight to the hanging um you know it's kind of there is a sheriff but obviously the other sort of implication with the fact that the miners are doing so much of this um the legwork in this little town is that there's not really like a law enforcement agency or system like jack rance is the law enforcement and i guess mr ashby in a different way (laughs) yeah exactly it's sort of that stereotypical gold mining town in the wild west um so they all decide it's time for johnson to be hanged and um they start you know preparing the noose getting ready to do all that and he's like hey guys I accept this, you're gonna hang me, but I have one last request. Um, And he asks the miners not to tell Minnie that he has been captured and is killed, but instead he asks them to let her believe that he is free and far away. And that is his like final aria, Keda ni Creda, which is like, so good and i get goosebumps i'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because it's so that moment is so powerful when he's you know saying like let her believe that i'm free and far away you know redeeming myself she will wait for me and days and time will pass and i'll never come back um and then he you know he says like she was like the flower of my life and this woman that i love so much um it's so emotional because he just doesn't want her to be heartbroken that he has died. Uh, 
yeah, it really, it, it's so good. Um, so, you know, he sings that and then they're like, okay, well, sure. Uh, t- get, let's get back to the hanging part of this. Um, <laughs> and they are about to hang him. And then all of a sudden, Minnie shows up with guns. She's just like, hey, guys, <laughs> we're pulling out the big guns. Um, and she begs them to let him go. She begs the minor. She's like, please, you know, uh, please let him go. I love him, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, nah, like, he has to pay for his crimes. Um, and then there's this incredible sequence where she goes around and she says, well, think of, she's like, I have done so much for you. I, you, like, I gave you my youth. I gave you my life. Remember when you were sick and I came to take care of you and you thought I was your sister from back home. Remember that and remember how I comforted you and remember, you know, all these things that I have done to and through my time here to take care of you um she has this you know it's it's really beautiful scene she's just going around to each person individually she's like sonora nick joe like all these people please like begging them and um that makes them all realize that she has done so much for them um you know running the polka that um you know, she has made them so happy and like for the happiness that she gave them and the love that she gave them, they cannot like decide Johnson's fate. They're like, we can't, we can, we cannot make this decision on the life of someone that you love so much because we love you so much. Um, and it's really, this is the one moment in the opera where Jack Rance is like fine um so instead of you know instead of pulling a scarpia and saying he's like no you can't have him he she will you know there's a part where she kind of just like goes up to him and sort of she doesn't verbally ask him for the same things that she asks of the other minors but in most of the stagings there is a moment where she approaches him and like basically asks for his permission and he just has to give it like he he can't not give it essentially um because he really does sort of owe her to to let this man go and um there's a lot of ways i think you could play that moment we can talk about that for sure um but then uh so sonora says okay you know as our as our gift we give you him, we give you his life. Um, And then Minnie and Johnson are like, all right, guys, peace out. We're going to start a new life somewhere else. Um, And there is this um, very religious undertext to the last part of this. Um, I wanted, I want to mention it, but obviously I think we might want to talk about that. So um, I'll just say that all of this um, from when Minnie comes in, like from when they're starting to hang Johnson and then when Minnie comes in there's a lot of sort of the reminders of like you know only God can judge someone's soul and like decide whether they can achieve salvation um like you cannot decide a man's uh, salvation or whether he is whether it is possible to save him um and then they say kind of as they're walking away 
I'm not going to get it correctly because honestly, I don't have the libretto pulled up, but you know, there's this kind of thing about like, okay, like we're going off in search of our new life and salvation. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And the music at the end is quite religious sounding too. And they're like, they have this little like goodbye. And it, it's funny also because they're saying goodbye to, they're like, adio mio California. And you're like, ah, that's a state. <laughs> but it, it, but the music itself is very sort of beautiful and, and kind of reverent a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Like, literally the power of friendship saves the day in this opera. Like I, I, like before I saw it, when I had tickets to it, but before I saw it, I kept joking. Like what if the real Fontula del West was the friends that we made along the way? And I like walked out and I was like, <laughs> Wait a second. It legit no, is. <laughs> the friends we made along the way. It's literally the power of friendship. I think that rules. Yeah. You know what this weirdly reminds me of? Just like sort of the whole opera in a sense, like the, the narrative parallels are not there, but the parallel between Minnie and the Miners is there. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Yeah, big time. <laughs> I, okay. I was literally about to say this. I, I like forgot to say it earlier, but even some of their names like sound like very like seven dwarves. Like like one of them is named like Bezo. Like, <laughs> like that's true. Happy Bezo. Like it's the yeah. same thing. <laughs> yeah, you got yeah. Sid, and, it, and one of them is actually named Happy too. I'm pretty sure. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's very oh. it, very much in that sense of it's just like these these men who like kind of made their home well I mean yeah a real home for the boys um <laughs> they made yeah. their home at the polka and they realize they can't like they have to let her go with grace because like she is a person who has to like have her own life um but she also did so much for them with her, the life that she did have um, it's a very beautiful sentiment, honestly. Um, and it's also like, what Puccini opera ends this way? It's the like, only like, happy ending to Puccini opera. I think no deaths, other than like Johnny Skeeky, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Um, and Johnny Skeeky is still brutal because the whole time yeah. the family's well, just like yeah. fighting each other. <laughs> and people always say that Johnny Skeeky is the only comedy, and I wouldn't call Funchula a comedy. But it's not a tragedy. No, but it's a theatrical tragedy in that it doesn't end with death and destruction. Right. You know? It's <laughs> it's very funny and well, also it the... is maybe not intentionally funny. No. So I think well, it's both intentionally and unintentionally funny. Like I think I think the boys are supposed to be hilarious when they're like true. fighting yeah. in Act One, and she comes in and she's like, "Why are you guys fighting?" And they were like, "Well, you left us unattended." Like there's no <laughs> that's that's yeah. Five. They're literally like, "We got bored, Minnie." <laughs> <laughs> like I, yeah. think, I think all the Ital like Italians saying cowboy stuff is not supposed to be funny, but I think there's no, a lot yeah. of humor in this. I, I definitely think too. Um, that's one of the things that's understated about it is that like the relation that you can really make that funny. Like you and also Nick, I think is kind of a funny character, just yeah. like <laughs> in a way. Um, but and I, you see this more and more in stagings where it's like explicitly making these things funny yeah um which is really good because otherwise yeah. you're just like what yeah <laughs> like I, we, all right I, I know I know Kelly that you want to talk about like um casts and people oh, yeah. who, who we like in this but so I, I so I'll, I'll I, I can pivot us there which is to say that I saw the Met I saw the Met one twice I saw it with Yosef Shpizavon and Shrepka's Bella he, he's like, oh, ew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <sorry. laughs> I saw it with him and I was like, okay, but I'd never seen it before. I was like, this is, 
low-key the greatest opera ever written and I like managed to get rush tickets to then see Jonas in it like one week later and I went back and that production is so old-fashioned it's like saloon Mm -hmm. cabin whatever Mm -hmm. like little cities on the stage like so so old school but it's still it was really funny it was like laugh out loud funny and part of it is that uh Ava Maria Westbrook who is singing Minnie she's great in the role that's a qualified yes. she's great in the role yeah she's a great actor in the role okay. she yes. plays that character so well oh my God. I would say 10% of the notes she can't hit but she plays that character so well that you almost don't mind because they had so much chemistry and it was so like she's so funny yeah yeah I like okay so I was talking about earlier I saw the Dutch National Opera production of it it's on Emeriti TV Mm -hmm. Um, She is also in that. This was like 10 years earlier than I think when she did it at the Met. Um, So it was filmed in 2009. She sounded really good in it then. I think maybe like, because yeah, I also saw the the version with her and uh, Kaufman, um, which I love her acting with this. Like the way that she is able to like encapsulate this like innocent yet so like, like strong, like young girl basically is just, it's amazing. Um, and like her chemistry yeah. with Calvin was just like incredible. I think, yeah, I really enjoyed her in the role. I, certainly the, her voice is not up to it, but yeah. I, I like, got, I like, I like yeah. commented on some review of it. Like, I don't really care. I had fun watching her, you know, like, yeah. 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 so like 10%, so the high notes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And someone else was like, you clearly know nothing of the score. And I was like, you're right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she, was a, she was a little flat on like, she was you flat. Got me there. Yeah. The high yeah. But when I saw her, like, in this it's earlier production, like, I mean, she sounded really great. And, like, yeah, her acting is just, more. like, incredible. Yeah. So, and she is, I really like her Debbie in the role. Voight, honestly. Yeah, I would yes. rather see her than Debbie Voigt. And I also think that... Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Even Maria Westbrook, you can say... I mean, her acting is just so good. So I did see her in this Fanchula. And then recently, the... Um, the re uh what's the word for it um the remounting of the of wagner's ring cycle that they did at the oh, met yeah, yeah. she's yeah, in yeah, die valkyrie and she is so freaking good like she yeah. acts the hell yeah. I really like out it. of seedling mm-hmm. like she is not messing around um and that is a role that's near and dear to my heart not because i like wagner but because that was how I was introduced to Jesse Norman, who is someone that I love. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, his, he, we were celebrating, people were celebrating him the other day. And I was like, I am not about to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But good on you. I'm like, listen, I do enjoy, I do really like Parsifal. There are things by Wagner that I like. I am not going to talk about how great Wagner was at any interval because he does not deserve that. Um, he doesn't need my help, so <laughs> no, no, that's literally, true. but yeah, no. So, um, Die Valkyrie is like the one ring cycle opera that I actually enjoy, and um, she was so good. I it was, I mean, it was a very good. Um, I uh, uh, uh <laughs> Jamie Barton was also in that. didn't that have Jonas also, or was that just was that the earlier cast? I, I think it was the earlier cast. I yeah, don't remember who the tenor was. He was, yeah. Mm, but it was someone I did not know well when we saw Jonas in Fanchula my my mom and I went together because my mother's a huge Jonas Kaufman fan so (laughs) So is my mother everyone's (laughs) mom is a Jonas Kaufman fan the um, lesbians with moms (laughs) in love with Jonas Kaufman Kaufman fan club where it's like yeah we like 
it's the lesbian Peter Matei stan daughters. Yes. Of, With, of, yes. Of Jonas Kaufman's stan mom. That's what it is. Yeah, you like, mentioned, well, we, we went, we've talked about that before. <laughs> we went and we like drove in from the suburbs and we were like, oh, ha ha, what if he's not singing? And <sighs> we're sitting in the audience and it's like taking a long time, taking a long time. And someone steps out onto the stage and the whole house goes, <gasps> like, doesn't even say anything. Everyone's like, <gasps> because like Jonas was singing, like, they, he was only he like came in halfway through the run so like you like a limited chance to see him and the guy goes Jonas Kaufman has a cold and the house erupts in in vicious catcalling someone literally yelled give me my money back and I was like oh my god oh my god it's happening it's a riot (laughs) and the guy got so flustered that he just left so he was like Jonas Kaufman has a cold he didn't say and is therefore not singing the role of Dick Johnson and he didn't say and is singing Dick Johnson anyway which is something that they do like Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll say like so and so is still singing so and Johnson doesn't show up until like 45 minutes into act one so we're all sitting there like so uh do you think there's gonna be any Jonas tonight and then he came on and everyone was like oh <laughs> they were the people really that they would have like tore up if he was not so singing funny I can't believe the guy she just got too flustered <laughs> He was like, I don't know what to say. I gotta go. They're gonna throw things at me. He was like, Mom, Mom, come pick me up from the from the Lincoln Center. I'm about to get pummeled on stage. I was like, okay, I was singing um like in this church gig. Um, I think it's 2018 or something like that. Whenever they did like the big production at the Met with like Jonas and mm-hmm. um, Adrian Maria Westbrook and all that stuff. And literally all the church ladies were obsessed with yeah. the And they uh-huh. were like, yeah, we're going to go to the cinema this weekend. And we're going to see Jonas. And we're so excited. And, like, the director was, like, a huge, like, Jonas fan, too. Oh, and, like, he, like, got tickets to see, like, a private recital with him. Oh, of course. Um, not a private recital, but, you know, like, a solo recital. Um, right. And I had tickets to a... Loved it. <laughs> got canceled by the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. when I was supposed to see um, Bryn Terpel in concert at the Lyric Center on my birthday, but then he had to cancel because he broke his ankle. He's yeah. out of the Dutchman, too, at the Met. Like he's Well, because he broke his ankle. Yeah. I remember that. He's out. Oh. And then I was like, well, that's, this birthday sucks. And then the pandemic happened like six weeks yeah, later. Right. And I was like, like, oh, never mind. This is worse. <laughs> I yeah. do think that the Met programming on Tula the exact year that they did was the most accidentally culturally savvy thing they have done in their entire existence. Because that was like the same year that the Mitski album Be the Cowboy came out. And like everyone was like ironically doing cowboy core that year. And then... They literally did Fanchula. Like me, me and all of my friends got obsessed with Fanchula del West because it was just like so funny to have a cowboy opera in that exact zeitgeist. Well, it was also the year that Old Town Road came out. I just exactly, had to check yeah, on that. It was, it was the year true. Old Town Road. Yeah. So like everyone was like, yeah. cowboys, it's cowboys this year. Cowboy time, yeah. It's cowboy time. And the Met was not even aware and they gave us this gift. It wasn't even just them too. I feel like there's a lot of other companies that did it that year. And I thought like, for some reason I got it in my brain that it was like the hundred year anniversary but then I realized like no it wasn't like (laughs) I think this is the this year would be the hundred isn't it 1911 Uh, no no, it could be 1910 okay so it should have been last year should have been the year of Fanchula well thank god everyone did it early because it was yeah well yeah and that's why I was so confused because I was like I could have sworn it was like the hundred year anniversary but it wasn't 
but for some reason, everyone was still doing Fanchula that year. Just cowboy time. It was like, yeah. okay. Was Maybe there time. was something in the, in the global water circulation. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking like for so long. I mean, I love this. Like I could talk. We just like this, can't but... stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. So I have do like one closing question though. So um, why do we think that like this opera is like not as popular as some of his other Puccini's operas, even though he considers it his magnum opus. Like that's always been interesting to me. I have five on this one. Yeah, I do too. Um, Sylvia, why don't you go first? Okay, I'll go first. So I think that it's, I think the fact that it's not a tragedy actually counts against it because it doesn't, it doesn't feel, I think, like what people expect from a Puccini opera, A. B, I think even more significantly, people only like really over-the-top inaccurate representations of other cultures when they're Asian or African, (laughs) you know? Like, I think the fact that it is, like, it's every bit as accurate as Madame Butterfly, but because Americans are racist, they're like, this is so ridiculous, I can't take it seriously. So I think that's a big strike against it. I think also Minnie's a really hard sing. I think that's a really hard role to cast because it is long and high Mm -hmm. and hard and Mm -hmm. difficult. And I think actually the fact that it's a very hard opera to like regify makes it harder to do even traditionally because there are only so many different ways you can build a Western town set. And it's not like Tosca where you can be like, ah, oh, fuck it, this time it's in space. Yeah. I would love to, I would love to see La Fanchula del West in space. My like, new, space my new goal in life, space, space cowboy, Fanchula del West. Yeah. They did, so the, the was it Base Dots or something did that production that was like very sort of like, yeah, it wasn't, it like wasn't cowboys, it was like gay leather club I, everything was, okay that's that, not that's that's everything they, that's that everything they, they do there are two gay leather clubs <laughs> that have to be because oh Baystot oh is like the home of like leather opera like yeah. they are obsessed oh, with yeah, everything no, being remember, like horny leather <laughs> so they have it so horny but I remember that they because they have a really funny twitter account they tweeted a picture of a sign that was hanging backstage that was like cowboy free zone in German. It was like cowboy, cowboy free zone or whatever, with like a little graphic of a cowboy with like an X through it. I was so mad. I was like, I single-handedly have been stumping for this opera online for years. And this is how you repay me by saying <laughs> no cowboys. But, but I do think that there's a kind of defensiveness that ha- like, you know, like if a cool German company is going to do Fanchula, they have to be like, no cowboys here, ladies and gentlemen. Like they have to be like really kind of. It's not as popular. Yeah, like Europe, like it, it, they don't like it as much as like American companies do. Which I no, because it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think I definitely um, agree with a lot of um, what Sylvia had to say about why like Fanchula is not as widely programmed um or you know particularly mini is a really hard or mini sorry um <laughs> is a very difficult role to sing um something that i also this is based on an attitude that i feel people had about it when that or that i perceived when i was growing up and sort of learning a lot about opera was that people felt and this is kind of another Uh, This is sort of in tandem with the exoticism and orientalism of Asian and African cultures um, is this idea that something like cowboys 
which is like a very popular sort of cultural movement in at least in the United States. You know, it, it's very at, the, the south. If you go to the south, like everybody in the south is like, we love cowboys, and I can say that because I am from the south, and yeah, like cowboys are great. Um, Sylvia is wearing their I'm cowboy sure. shirt today. <laughs> I just feel like sure. everyone it should know this. Cowboys, and then there's pictures of cowboys, and then it says cowboys, cowboys. again. <laughs> the shirt says cowboys, cowboys. I don't know why, but I thought I'd wear it because podcasting is such a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, so I think people think that cowboys, cowboys, um, <laughs> is something that's cheap, um, yeah, and I don't know if sure. that's because if that I don't, I don't know if that's like inherent classicism or um classism not classicism sorry um I don't know if that's classicism or people thinking like oh that's a that's for I mean essentially I think a lot of people do think that like cowboy stuff is inherently for poor people and for like poor white people yeah for and for kids and like poor people from the south um, specifically people associate it with like poor white people from the south which is not an association that is rigid in any sense like there is a long history of like black cowboys and like you know like indigenous cowboys and mexican cowboys like that all those things exist right but we associate a lot of people um the cult- dominant cultural attitude associates cowboys as like something that's dirty and dusty and i think that people think that that's not something you can talk like translate into opera or I think people just have this fundamental idea that like putting cowboys on stage and something that's so special and uh, like elevated art as opera is like not something that works. And I think that's dumb that totally. people think that. Oh, I will say I do feel con- contractually obligated to say there are no cowboys in this opera. They're minors. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah, actually are no, there are no cowboys. Even the fact that we are big fans of this opera and we're like, oh, yeah, the cowboy, the cowboy opera. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like it's, that just sort of goes to show how people right. think of this opera. Mm-hmm. There aren't I, even any cowboys. There aren't even it. any cowboys. And yet there's this, like, there's that same, like, A, sort of era that people asso- associate with, like, the emergence of mm-hmm. cowboyism. Um and then also um, there, that there's this very pervasive lawlessness, even though there is a law enforcement figure in this opera. Again, like I was saying earlier, there's not like this strict law enforcement agency. So um, yeah, I, but at the same time, it's, it's not a cowboy opera and yet it is a cowboy opera. And I, I think people have no idea what this opera is about also. Yeah, it is um, confusing. <laughs> it's not you know i think definitely the people are wrong here but it doesn't make it like super easy although i do think like i think it's a really actually great opera to take people to who don't know anything about opera like it's a really good starter opera because like the plot kind of makes sense and the characters are kind of compelling like in a way Mm -hmm. that not you know again low low bars to clear but like not every opera is like a believable love story with like action and a card game like it's it's pretty accessible I think, Keaton, to your point about, like, the whiteness of the American West, something that I am desperate to see is a Black mini. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that Fontula has this, like, rich, untapped theme of, like, really, in like, stagings that are historical but still interesting. Like, the American West was not white. It was, like, it was Black. It was Indigenous. It was Chinese. Like, there there was so much diversity, and, and I think that there's no reason why that would not be present in this opera like I, I feel yeah. like 
like I think Minnie should be black. I, I mean, Jonathan is supposed to be Hispanic. Yeah, he's Ramirez. Like, yeah. When I saw it at the Met, weirdly enough, the Met like I I think like some props to the Met for like not wanting to like do big racisms on stage, but also like kind of eh, at the Met for like wanting to sanitize this opera. But like they put that production puts kind of a lot of work into toning down the racism in the opera like they put they caught a lot of the Waukel and um her boyfriend stuff and they crucially the supertitles trans there's like a word that the supertitles keep using where they've translated it to like bandit but like you can hear with your ears the singers saying Mexican when they're talking about Ramirez and it's like now hold like hang yeah. on. I wasn't to cut like you can cut stuff and I'll n- I would never know better. I would I, never know, but I can tell the difference. Than it yeah. actually was, but I can hear her say Mexican. Come on, so yeah. I think that's something that like rather than like ignore the kind of uncomfortable racial dynamics in the opera, I wish that more places were like really right. Because if we if yeah if you leaned into them and cat and try you know there are talented singers out there that could play these roles that are not white um I don't think that that's something I mean that's one of those things where it's like we do have to mention that somehow even though that should not be a crazy thought um and this is much more diverse in opera than a lot in terms of you do really get a sense of how much how diverse the west was at this time um and it would be really great again to lean into that, you know. More fanchulas. <laughs> yeah, more more fanchulas. We missed the centennial. We have to make up for lost time. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, those are all like really, really great points. Um, yeah, and I wish that I feel like just like it's just one of those operas that like not a whole lot of companies really put on a whole lot. Um, which is like I guess kind of a shame. Um, it's a really big cast. I think like if, you're, if you're like a small cast. company yeah. and you're gonna do either Costco, and there's or a lot of men. Manchula, it's like I don't know. Do I have 15 boys in my backyard? Like yeah. literally, yeah. It's, yeah. A, uh, it's a real home for the boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, do I have 15 grown men who can play 15 <laughs> dwarves, like the <laughs> these grown men version of the dwarves from Snow White, or do I have <laughs> random children that Are I can rootin'? source? Are they tootin'? <laughs> Yeah, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. No, the music is like it's very cinematic. I feel like this is the most like cinematic of all of Puccini's operas, like just in the way like the orchestration is. Like maybe there aren't quite so many like recognizable tunes that like you go out humming. Um as like some of his other ones, but like I, I, I of the opera. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why yeah. why haven't you ever heard Music of the Night by Andrew Lloyd Webber from Phantom of the Opera? You're right, yeah. I mean it's not it's it's a it's a it's a kind of a tough it's a kind of like kind of crunchy score it's like very chromatic it's very yeah, yeah. but it's wow. cool in that way it, it's really yeah. different from um a lot of his earlier stuff especially um so maybe that's kind of why he considered it like like he's his magnum opus kind of because yeah. he yeah. sort of i don't know i guess you can hear turandot really taking shape yeah, yeah you well. definitely can i i would agree with that Shit's getting weird, you know? Yeah, he's, he's about to go real hard in a much worse direction, uh, morally and ethically. But yeah, no, uh, you really do hear Turandot, like, coming to life in this one. Um, and it's a, yeah, he's about to do the racism 
for the whole opera soon. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. But I this love is, this opera. I know. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I feel like I'm dumping on Puccini, but it's like, I, I, I love this opera and I love several Puccini operas, but, uh, yeah, you know, we you gotta know, acknowledge like the good and the bad with all of right. it. Right, so, the good, yeah. the bad, and the ugly. The ugly. That was a really good one. Yeah. Okay, great. So I guess we'll kind of end it there. Um, thank you both so much for coming back on. This is really fun. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I guess so everyone who's listening. So we're gonna take a little bit break for this summer um but i will be back in the fall hopefully with more cool episodes um so like subscribe all that stuff on apple Podcasts and all that stuff and i will see you next time